Cream. Cream. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers, which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. You think this is the real Quaid? It is. It is. It is. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Tarantino's. This is a movie discussion podcast created by two movie fanatics. My name is Mike Morales, and like always, I'm here with my partner in crime, Angel Halloween Delian. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is, like Angel was saying, this is our Halloween episode, and so we had to pick in like an old school 80s horror movie to rewatch and talk about so this episode we're going to be talking about stephen king's classic cult classic silver bullet and as everybody knows i'm a huge i'm a huge horror fan my monster would you say of choice has always been the werewolf and growing up this movie was especially uh close to me i actually walked in on my mom watching it and of course she, she thought there would be no problem with a seven-year-old kid watching a movie about a werewolf who's trying to kill a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> so, or not seven, he was like 13 or something. But so I watched it, got scared as hell, and the only way to overcome it was to watch it, you know, watch the whole movie. I think we had it on video or it was like playing constantly on Showtime or something. And so I watched it and I was instantly enthralled. The story, everything actually except for, and it was funny because even then, the werewolf itself didn't scare me, but the story and the plot, and I knew what it was, so it 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 was it was just it was good. And I mean, when you take a werewolf and you take a storyteller like Stephen King, even though it's from a a smaller, shorter story, I mean that's like the perfect combination. So this movie I've seen, I kind of I wish I was kidding. I probably average once a month. But as an adult, it was almost once a week. I don't, it's one of those movies where it's on. I could just have it as a loop. It's it's almost like not white noise, but it's it's soothing. Like I can I can do anything on my daily basis just by listening to this. I don't even have to actually watch it. But it's one of my favorite movies. Like top ten for sure, just in general movies overall. Uh, top five for werewolf movies and. Probably top 10 for horror movies, for sure. Yeah, and this is a movie that you kind of constantly, constantly watch. <laughs> Every time you throw a quote or reference a, a, a movie, I think most of the times it's Silver Bullet. or you, I think sometimes you reference the characters a lot in our discussions about film. I would say this is definitely your, one of your favorite movies of all time. Yeah, definitely seen it more than anything else, but yeah, I mean, once, once when I was a kid, it scared me. So, I mean, I would... I finally watched it just to get the whole story down. It's like when you're a kid, the worst thing you can do is walk away from a scary movie because, like, in your head, the monster's still alive. You know what I mean? The story's still going. You need that closure. And then once I finally sat through it, I was scared, and I probably avoided it for a couple years. Mm -hmm. And then when I got a little bit older and I wanted to be afraid, like, that's when I started watching American Werewolf. I started watching this. Uh, there was actually a show, too, on uh, USA called Werewolf. And that one scared me the most. Like, when it was, I would, you know, we only had, like, what, 15 channels or whatever mm -hmm. through basic cable. I remember knowing what channel it was on, and I would have to, like, double-click on the up 
just to pass it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I didn't even, like, if I, I, I didn't know what it was, like, I'd always be doing that. I'd be channel surfing, and then something looked kind of cool, and then all of a sudden, a werewolf jumped out. And I was like, so, like, how do I time it where I, I always get on the show, you know what I mean, right when it's on? And I remember those three things, like, constantly, I started constantly looking for after a while. But yeah, definitely, I mean, if you watch it, there's almost, the saying is like, you know, what's not the love about the movie? It's like, it's a great, perfect movie. It, I would call it perfect because it's short. The storyline is great. There's the twist. The characters, you get just enough into them. I, I, like, as far as horror, uh, I don't think it gets much better. And also the fact that they the Halloween plays into the third act of the movie, I think this makes it a perfect Halloween movie. And you know, people like a good Stephen King story, and this is a, a perfect example of what they what Stephen King provided to us in the eighties. But before we kind of go into like our kind of uh, discussion of Silver Bullet, because this is our Halloween episode, let's talk about a little bit of our personal stories about Halloween. I would say. Well, definitely if you're a movie fan, Halloween's got to be one of your favorite holidays in the year because it has such a connection to horror movies. It has a connection to horror stories. Uh, well, what's like some of your personal connection to Halloween? Well, okay. Yes. Whenever I dressed up as a character as a kid, it always was the Wolfman. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the, at first, it was the cheesy plastic with the rope, and then it got more to the real loose, like uh, rubbery latex one. But that was always a character I wanted to be. Always. It just... it. The thing was, if that scared me, it had to scare everybody. You know what I mean? It's one of those world revolves around you type of deals. And um, I just always remember, because then all you needed was, like, the gloves, and then you could just wear regular clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was more man than the wolf. It's funny you, you mentioned that, because I was the wolf man for maybe three years straight which is like a lot of my childhood. So I'm basically, that was my favorite costume. And it's only because I believe my brother had a mask, and I'm not sure what it was, but we cut out the, it was a, it was like a full-on uh, hair mask thing where we cut out the, the, the mask itself and it really just had the hair part of it. So, <laughs> I, so I would slip in the hair, which looked like a werewolf, and I would just kind of paint my nose black and all you had to do, like, put your clothes, shred up your clothes, and that's it. You know, you're, yeah, like you said, the hand, you got to work on the hands, and you kind of walk, that's it. You, and you grab a, you grab a, 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 a pillowcase, and then you walk out the door and you get your candy. It's, it, there's something very simple about the, the, the design of the Wolfman, but also very scary about it. And I think that's what, that's why it's considered one of the classic monster, you know, looks. Yeah, and you, you, as a kid, you never wanted to be walking around and have somebody ask you what you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what I mean? You didn't get that with the werewolf. You always they knew what you were, just like Dracula, you know, the classics. Well, I think Dracula, another classic uh, costume, but it also is cumbersome with the, with the cape. And if you're a wolf man, you're kind of like, you know, you're free to hang out, you know? <laughs> you're just kind of in your own clothes, you know? I don't know. I, I yeah, it's so odd that we're kind of. I, I did not know that about you that you're you're. I mean, I knew you were a fan of the wolf, the werewolf uh, movies and stories, but I didn't know that you dressed up the, as the wolf man because I also did the same thing. Uh, 
and it's only been maybe because it was convenient at the time. But uh, Halloween, what's your thoughts on Halloween as a, as a holiday? I mean, is this like one of your favorite times of the year? It it is. Um, as a kid, you know, everybody wants to go around and get that candy. Mm-hmm. And um, but as you grow older, you start to appreciate the the one day a year where you get to be somebody else or mm-hmm. something else. It's not like you, you're you an adult, you got all these pressures, and you get to step away from it. It's just, as a kid, you, well, we had imagination. <laughs> and so, you know, it, 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 it kind of, sometimes it, you'd get nervous, too, when it was getting closer, and you hadn't pinpointed exactly what you wanted to be or where you were going to go. And, like, you and your friends, it's, it's your one night out where... My, it's like it, we didn't have to be home necessarily when the lights went on type of deal, but mm-hmm. it, we were expected to be out. It was late. We're in groups, and it's like nowadays my wife makes like when our kids were smaller, we'd have to go with them. Mm-hmm. I don't remember my mom ever coming <laughs> with us. You know what I mean? She kind of like we had to stay within a certain amount of houses or whatever, but everybody knew which houses gave out better stuff or what neighborhoods gave out better crap. So we would always. Yeah, mom. And then we'd go like spend half the night walking to the like the ritzy area so we'd get <laughs> big candy bars and stuff. Yeah. I mean, even when me and you, when we were in high school, Halloween was great. You know, was, uh, our friend Danny's brothers always had a party and it was mm-hmm. always like people that were like, what were they, seven, eight years older than us? So it's like we were 16, 17 and these were like college people. That, yeah. yeah 20s, definitely. Yeah. You didn't have to worry about bringing booze because there was a <laughs> shit ton there. And, like, everybody just assumed we were as old as them, I guess. <laughs> no, I don't remember anybody ever being like, hey, are you old enough for that? You know? Nah, man. It's like, here, let me get that for you. <laughs> they're, just, they're taking beer bottle tops off for us. Like, thank you. It's just so good. Yeah, I think I think Halloween kind of changes over the years when you get older, you know? Like, for when, when you're kids, it's all about the candy. It's all about, like, uh, hanging out with your the, the kids at the, the kids in the neighborhood, it has that uh, kind of camaraderie kind of feel to it. Like it's it's us. It's Halloween is for the kids. It's it's for it's our time to play. And then once you get older in your teenage years, is now it's it's about what party you go to. It's time to get have a little fun. You know, we're all kind of bunched up in school. We're all stressing out at semester tests, and yet we're gonna have fun t- during the Halloween party. I think once you get into your like twenties and thirties, it becomes about more of the the, the movie culture, the, the the horror culture, the the horse, the even the maybe decorating your 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 front door. It's about kind of celebrating the horror aspect of of you know movies and stories. Do, do, are you a, a person who kind of like decorate your your house a little bit, or is that like something that's you don't do? We, no, we have inflatables and stuff. Yeah, we really okay. do. I I go we go a little nuts. This year, my son, uh, he broke his ankle playing football a couple weeks ago, and he's the one that climbs up in the rafters. Mm. So this year, we actually didn't put him out. We have, like, we do a little, like, half-ass graveyard in the front, and then we have two big pumpkins, and then I think it's a ghost that, like, is, like, one of those wiggles his arms or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's a little more than the average person does for Halloween, but... It's every we all agree we all love Halloween and it's it's funny because we all love Halloween then they all leave and I'm stuck here handing out candy <laughs> and except for the fact that which wouldn't be bad but I have dogs mm, and they, so the every bark and the time bark, yeah. yes 
And if I leave them outside, then they stand by the gate and bark by every kid that walks by. <laughs> so I last time I put um, the bowl, and it was actually pretty good. None of the kids came and stole it. But um, oh, you mean just pick that, one type of thing, like a, yeah. a sign? Yeah. And then I don't, I don't even know if I did a sign. I think mm. I just put the bowl, and they just knew it. But I think it's good because there was a lot of kids with parents, and so I put oh, yeah. up a. But I have that ring camera. <laughs> so I found myself watching it the whole time going like come on kid I know you're going to take it you know what I mean like betting which kid was going to finally do it but it's funny because nobody did mm. and I actually my kid like so last year was 14 I don't know if I told you but he was like okay so ring camera when you do the ring thing there's like a little ring society and they, they have like message boards and stuff so <laughs> one of the message boards said hey I don't know who this kid is but his parents are doing a good job and there was a little kid that walked up, and there was a bowl, right? Mm-hmm. No candy. So the kid walked away. So then my son walked up, and saw there was no candy. So he dumped his candy into the bowl. Oh, wow. And then, and then he ran back to the kid and said, no, 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 they just put candy in there. And he brought the kid back. This wasn't part of his group. It was just him, his sister, and my wife's cousin's kid. So it was a kid that was a group before, like just a little kid on his own. So the little kid came up, we got the candy, and then my kid just left all his candy in there. And then on the message board, so that was the thing, right? They played that video. And then on the board, somebody replied back, oh, I know that kid. That's the scooter kid, because my kid's always on his little scooter. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, dude, that kid's, this, that's the scooter kid. And he goes, that kid's great. He's like, every time he goes by the park, my kid has... Like is constantly throwing his his ball up on the roof of the bathroom, and like my kid will tell him that he threw it up on the roof, and the kid stops and he just climbs up on the roof and gets my kid's ball back. So like, <laughs> what the hell is my son doing? He's like mm-hmm. a little superhero running around. <laughs> but it was funny because then somebody else comments, "Oh, that kid lives next to us. His name is Chris." So like, what the hell? Like, I didn't know this world existed, but my wife had showed me. Oh wow! Like. Like, every time I, not that I think my kid's a bad kid, but, like, every time I tell my kid, like, like, you guys don't understand, you guys are, like, not that they're rude, but it's, like, like, I don't know about you guys, I don't think you guys will survive on your own, or whatever. <laughs> so, my wife just showed me that whole thing, and I'm, like, damn. And I'm, like, dude, you gave up all your candy. He goes, yeah, he's up, but by the end of the night, he still had a full bag of candy. I don't know. <laughs> But I thought that shit, that shit was pretty cool. I, it's so weird that they kind of have these different lives. Uh, your your children have like their own lives. Uh, yeah, why have... are they assholes here <laughs> and super cool out in the world? They're two faced. You're saying? They're... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a great story. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, when I, when I think about Halloween, I think about those great times when we used to go out. I mean, not you and me, but me and my cousins uh, used to go out and get candy. And there was a couple times where the, the neighbors will play up the Halloween. I remember one particular time where you hear, you know, we're we're, we're working this um, street. It was a long street, and we just hear this chopping noise, like chop, chop, chop. We're like, what the hell's going on there? And like, there was this like smog. Someone put out like a uh, smog machine. It's like a bunch of like smog billowing out into the street. And we get into it, and we're walking, and we're getting closer and closer to this chopping sound, chop, chop, chop. And we go through the the mist, like the smog, and we can see a figure there. And there's this guy, who now, now I think about it, must have been in his in his twenties, 
But, you know, to us, when we're kids, we, we're, oh, this is an old man. <laughs> yeah. And he's chopping. Uh, he's, like, uh, dressed as, like, uh, Tarzan. Uh, you know, he has, like, a, a furry loincloth, uh, furry cloth around his crotch area, kind of naked. And he's chopping a stump. And he, he's chopping. I'm like, and we're, like, freaking, you know, we're, like, what the hell's going on here? He's chop, chop, chop. We get closer, closer. We get to the, his... Uh, driveway chop chop and he, he sees us in the corner of his eye and he kind of stops turns around and goes oh you want some candy <laughs> and it was like you know it was like this this is what people used to do back then i don't know if they go out all out like that nowadays Wait, what, what, what was he chopping he was just chopping like wood and it's it, it was only because oh uh, so it wasn't like a like he was a body like he no 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 he was just chopping ah. it was chopping wood and it made this echo sound throughout the the street and it was just a weird kind of scene. But wait, so you're saying his chopping was nothing to do with Halloween? It, no, <laughs> I mean he was dressed. Oh, I thought he was. No, doing no, no, like no. He, sound he, effects. No, no, I think he. It, I mean, he it definitely was him doing some kind of gag or something. It was more kind of just weird than than say scary. It was just kind of just what what what's going on here, and. It, the, you know the imagery that conjures up in your mind it's a lot worse than what it what, what it really was yeah. but it's such a memorable scene I still remember it as you know now that I'm an older man and that was a kind of a memorable memorable uh you know image that I have in, uh, back then of when uh, I thought it was gonna <laughs> be like you guys came around and he like had a like a leg oh no no, no chopping no. it like something like <laughs> scarred you for life. No, 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 no. It's still kind of a, it's still the suburbs, yeah. so it's not gruesome. It was never gruesome uh, around our places. But see, I, I always thought it would be cool, like because they they had that house. You know what I mean? That like went crazy overboard, and yeah, yeah. They, they, the whole family was into it. There, there was a couple of times where they set up the the ma- like a maze to get your candy. There's like one particular house that I remember that you had to go to, almost like a haunted house scenario where you have to like go around a whole maze just to get to the front door and like once you get to the front door and it's all kind of made up elaborately and once you get to the front door there's like a fake dummy you know in the front in the porch that we think it's fake and then he comes up and oh yeah yeah and, and scares the shit you know scares the shit out of us and then someone comes out with the candy you know and so i've been to that kind of house, <laughs> I'd say, you know, you know, the, uh, it's, and all this is amateur stuff. This is all kind of people doing, having a fun time. And this is all people becoming creative uh, for the ho- for the holiday. Yeah, those are the best. Yeah, those are the best times. It's the best times. But I would say, but for me, I think, especially as a kid, there's always that one moment that ruins, not ruins, but it ends Halloween as a child. And as a child, I mean, like, trick-or-treating and all that shit. It's when you knock on the door and some bitter, bitter <laughs> prick of a person opens the door. And the first thing out of their mouth is what? Aren't you a little too old to uh-huh. trick-or-treat? <laughs> and you're like, that's, I, if, I, if, I was, if I was more, uh, if I was cooler, I would have, like, knocked the candy out of his hand. And, like, punched him in the nuts and said, good day, sir. You just ruined my childhood. Did you ever get, like... It's too early right now. Come back in an hour. Well, no, because we always went when it was dark. Okay, but I saw those kids. Those yeah. kids, like, where their moms made them like try to get it all done by four in the afternoon, uh-huh. and like you'd hear like <laughs> I remember it happened, and my mom was like, 
we haven't like we're just cooking dinner you know what i mean like <laughs> what the hell like and i think she didn't even give nothing like we had the bowl right there waiting uh-huh. but she was like no you come back later and i was like damn well i think i think we wanted to jump get a good jump on it i think that's why I, <laughs> yeah i think we went around seven o'clock one time and but maybe, that's not bad i yeah. mean this kid was like four Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he, everybody just got home from school. <laughs> he thought he'd knock it out real quick and then yeah. go to football practice or something. But wait, you never got that? You're too old? Because yeah. that's what kills it for everybody. Uh, no, I never did. I never did. No? Yeah, because it was, it was like one year, it was like you were fine, and then you'd go through that last, like, maybe 13 or 14-year-old girl spurt or 12 to 13, and then it, it's just like that that round of trick-or-treating you got it. Like, it is, it's funny because when you got it, you didn't just get it once. You got it from maybe like half the houses. I I, I don't think I did. And I then you, I, you just knew it was over. I, I think at the 13, I kind of just quit. You know, I could have mm. maybe could have gone for, you know, one more year, but I think I quit. Uh, Dude, my kid, my kid would still be going if I didn't tell him to stop. <laughs> my kid is 15 and he would still go uh-huh. if I didn't stop him. Like there's no inner inner thing to him. It's like, hey, maybe I I'm done with this part of my life. Nope, he keep going like in his twenties. <laughs> uh yeah, I guess maybe I I got maybe tired of it or something. I don't know. I I, I quit pretty. I guess I quit pretty early going door to door. I do remember like giving out candy, and there were some kids who just wouldn't even put in the effort. <laughs> they were just like just in regular clothes, <laughs> you know. I'm yeah, like, I can see it if they had a little kid, like a little brother they walked with anyway, so I might as well get some clothes. But these are just, yeah, I know, they're just like a bunch of kids that whatever they were wearing. Yeah. Or they had a mask, Yeah, but it was up. <laughs> and I was like, come on, man. Like, like, give pull it, the mask down. Yeah, let's let's see a little effort effort in it. Um, Especially now with the cost of candy, dude. Yeah. yeah. Candy's expensive as hell. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, you know, just the, the atmosphere of, of Halloween and, and the movies itself, because I always loved the idea that this was a time for everyone to, like, get into horror movies and scary movies. And I think maybe once you get into that teenage years, that was the probably the best thing about Halloween. It was like this allowed you or this gave you permission to watch these scary movies and really kind of fall in love uh, with horror movies for the for. for with a deeper admiration of these type of uh, films. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it would definitely be the background. Even if you guys were like when we, I remember when we were getting older and we were allowed to like do the pumpkin carving and stuff ourselves. Oh, yeah. 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 That, that we would, it would be part of the, what do you call it? The, the atmosphere. Yeah. 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 So like, even though we weren't watching TV, somebody turned the TV on and it'd be, Ooh, they put on something scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it was Halloween, that was the thing that got you into it. And even if it wasn't like a like a crazy, scary horror flick, it was like something worth it. Like just a little, just that the kids considered scary, you know, and maybe gremlins or something like with some little monsters or something. But that was always part of the, yeah, the that was part of Halloween was the scary movies. Yeah, and there were certain channels that would kind of dedicate their month or their week uh, with horror movies. TMC or T- TCM, the Turner Classic uh, Movie Channel, they would throw in like old classic monster movies. It was a really a great time where you know, kind of get to get to know like some of the older classic horror movies and get to know like some of the some of the some of like your favorite horror movies again. Like I don't know, it it, it was something very special about that and. 
maybe because how you know horror movies is so taboo back then and like you, especially when you're younger you're not allowed to watch these horror movies but once once halloween uh becomes a part of the season you're like oh now we get a really chance to kind of dive into these type of stuff and I, that's what I kind of remember about that the holiday and really loving about the holiday. Yeah, because it was always like a vote. Like, oh, let's watch a movie. And I want to watch whatever everybody. And I only wanted horror. So around Halloween, I finally, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, okay, since it's Halloween, let's watch a scary movie. Like, that's when I got to, like, pick most of the movies during the year. It was <laughs> always around Halloween. Uh, All right. Let's get into Silver Bullet now. Okay. Now they're all hyped up. <laughs> It began in May, and every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. that at me? Nobody knew who. Or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. The last glimmering hope. All right, let's talk about uh, Silver Bullet. Like you were, were saying earlier, that you are a big fan of this movie. You watched this movie multiple times, even multiple times in the year, maybe sometimes multiple times in the same month, uh, and currently watch it over and over again. What is about Silver Bullet that kind of really hits home with you? And, you know, what is it about it that kind of just makes you obsessed with the film? Well, I, I just think, I know it brings me back to childhood. Like, if I sit down and I watch it, it, it actually alleviates a lot of everything that's going on right now. It's, I can I can use this as my tunnel vision. If I sit down and I actually watch it, it will take me back to the time and the place. And it's like I'm 10 years old sitting on a couch watching this movie. Now, the story is simple, but uh, amazing. And it's like when my kids watch a movie... The best way to get them into the movie is if there are kids in the movie. So I'm not sure if that's the first attraction of the movie, and that's why it freaked me out so bad. But it's one of those things where it's, I know for them, it's more, if they watch movies that are like me and my wife will watch, which is adults, it's not real to them. Because there are no kids. So if there's no kids in the movie, that means that whatever's happening in the movies won't happen to them because there's there's no kids, you know what I mean? So as soon as there is a kid and they become part of the, the subject, like, the couple years ago when the It's were redone. Yeah, yeah. It went into. Favorites movies. They would watch them, and they would get scared. So incredible. That's because it's, it's got kids in the story. But um, this movie, it's just, like I said, I've always loved the werewolf. And so the fact that there is, in the story, there's a werewolf. It's killing people. Nobody even knows what it is. Uh, Well, I was going to say it's not a, um, what's it called when you ruin the story? Spoiler? Yeah, it's not a spoiler, but he comes into contact with the werewolf. Now he's the only one that knows there's a werewolf. It's kind of like one of those things where uh, he's got his uncle that he's close with, and he won't even believe him. It's, it's one of those things where it's like it plays on your 
you're feeling as a kid. As a kid, you feel like you're basically alone most of the time. As far as if you say something, nobody believes you. Even if you had proof in your hand, people don't even take the time to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this kid's on his own, and he happens to be in a wheelchair. So it's like, dude, if if you're going to come out of this and you're going to be okay, it's like you got an uphill battle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the only his sister kind of he gets on his side and it's it's like i said it's a very simple story <laughs> man but it's it's told so well just like most of stephen king's things it's the little things it's it's he puts little nuances in it that you pick up on and it's very relatable and i mean we all know what ended up happening to Corey Hayne, but before that he's such a great actor especially mm-hmm. at a super young age and I, I could tell when I watched it that it was just like this kid, like uh, when you're a kid, I thought he was in a wheelchair for real life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then I saw Lost Boys. I'm like, hey, he's not in a wheelchair, but it's like, you're just naive, but it's a, it's a perfect na- naivety. It's, it's how all kids should be. He gets help, but he's still, he's still the one that has to take care of business. You know what I mean? So you better get that guy. Uncle Red? Yo. What if it's not a guy? What do you mean? Well, what if it's some kind of monster? <laughs> yeah, what if it's some kind of monster? You know, like a werewolf or something. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is one of Corey Haim's uh, first movies. Uh, I think he only did maybe two other films before this so this is one of his bigger films that were his first breakout performance yeah and like you were saying i think Corey hames is fantastic he's really great at, you know he still has that fresh face look to him you know like once he gets to lost boys which is only a couple years later yeah uh, it's really it's, you think it's a long time but it's only i think two yeah, it's yeah, and he's he's a little bit, he's much older. He's he, he you can see the teenage uh, he's growing into a teenager at that time. Here he's still kind of a baby face, and he's perfect for this part. He plays Marty. He plays a, a paraplegic boy who's kind of confined to a wheelchair. He has a really great wheelchair. It's a motorized vehicle, kind of. It's like part go go kart and part uh, you know uh, machine or, or bike a bike. You know, it's called it's called Silver Bullet, which I didn't realize uh, it was nicknamed Silver Bullet. You know, uh, so. yeah, it's written on the back in the yeah because he gets through the course of the movie he gets it upgraded from his little little putter like <laughs> the little one that puts around to like this basically like a racing version of it. Yeah, and then yeah, but like his his uncle who's played by Gary Busey, which is a, he gives a terrific performance in this movie. And and so his his uncle kind of soups up the the this motorized uh wheelchair and makes it into like a full-on motorcycle basically. But you know, th- this Marty character, he he's the one who's kind of first notices that these series of of killings it feels like it's a, a werewolf or he believes there's a werewolf behind these killings. But that was I love that part because he says, you know, what if it's a monster? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, monster. Like, what if it's a werewolf or something? They don't ever get that kind of um, on the head. when You know what I mean? When you're in a movie, they throw stuff out there, but they never get it right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very... That's what I liked about that. It's very direct. I mean, he kind of, like, just says it right out there from the very beginning. Like, 
oh, this is a werewolf, and everyone thinks he's, you know, talking out of his ass or something. And But, you know, it's, it, sorry, real quick, yeah, it's funny, because I told you about the, the book. In the book, very early on, someone says, oh, what is this, some kind of a monster? And then they literally call it the werewolf. Mm. So it's like from the the book, it takes months. And like when every month when they try to, like in the movie, they'll do a couple things to try to catch it, like the town goes out and whatever. Mm-hmm. So every month they try a different thing. And it's like what we're doing this month to capture the werewolf. And it's like the town just nicknames it the werewolf. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Since the book had that. They didn't mind putting that one right in the movie too. Yeah, the, the, I also like that about the townspeople in this in this movie. That the, they're you know like like a lot a lot of Stephen King uh, stories. It's set in a small town America. You got people are angry about the police because they're they they feel that they're incompetent. They're not catching this killer. And you know then, he uses the city name over and over. Darker's Mills. <laughs> yeah. It literally like I don't know if it's a real place, but I think it's under the dome. It's the same place that the story that he wrote. I know it was a oh, is that show right? on Channel Two. Yeah, it's always like Darker's Mills. It's always the same area. Castle Rock is in a, a popular location yeah. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, because these are these are kind of I, I'm, Castle Rock is a fictional town. I, I'm a, I guess I'll assume that Tar, uh, Tarker's Mills is a, probably a fictional Must town. Be. Yeah, but I mean, what what Stephen King's from Maine, and I think yeah. he grew up in in that East Coast small town America. So a lot of his stories come, a lot of stories are, are driven from that, and and he draws on on his you know, small town upbringing. I like the the show. You like the Mist, same oh, area, fantastic basic yeah. area. Yeah. yeah, the Mist is a, which is I would say one of the great kind of horror movies of the last twenty years. Is a perfect example of, of a Stephen King story. You know, you got small town groups of people. They all kind of represent different types of people in that town. And then you got this outer villain or spirit or force that's invading the town. And it it really kind of corrupts the town. And I think that's kind of the common denominator with all his movies. You know, towns play a big part of it. Townspeople, the secrets in towns. And and also with Silver Bullet, because it centers around really this brother and sister team, mostly the boy. But uh, that is a common kind of uh, a common thing that that's in Stephen King stories. What is it about Stephen King that makes him so special to you? I mean, what what makes him such a ter- like really a terrific and exceptional writer? Well, I've always loved. The, I mean, like the guy could tell a story, but. I think with him, it's kind of like, I think he takes a lot of time in making sure everybody, like, sees the same thing he's he's putting out there. It's not like he's telling a vague story. Mm-hmm. Like, they used to joke that he could spend, like, two pages on describing a door. <laughs> the thing is, he probably can, but when he describes a door, everybody sees the same door. So I think by uniformly keeping everybody on the same track, um, and that could be why he keeps using the same backgrounds for everything. But he he tells a very simple story, and he makes it fantastic. And not fantastic like good, but fantastic like so crazily twisted and over the top that it's it ends so far from reality that you're forced to believe it, which sounds wrong, right? But you followed him from the beginning to the end. And like, okay, I was listening to an audiobook, 
And it's a story about a guy, I swear to God, that gets trapped in an outhouse. Not an outhouse like he's from the West, but like a porta potty. <laughs> this guy gets trapped in a porta potty. He has to get out of there. That's the whole story. Of course, during the story, they give a background of the city and why he ended up in the porta potty at the, that time. And it wasn't like somebody killed him. It's like a bunch of acts, like that fell over on accident. Door got pinned down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was amazing. It was, it was, when I got finished with it, I tried to have my wife read it. She goes, what's it about? And I go, don't ask me what it's about because you're not going to want to read it. But when you, oh, I can't remember what it was, it was called, but that was like the whole story. And I'm like, who can do that? Like, he's like the candy man can of <laughs> like horror stories. Because everybody's got this classics like The Shining, Misery. Mm -hmm. Those are fantastic, huge worlds that he builds. But then the guy can string you along for a guy getting stuck in a porta potty. And if anybody else is ever going to hear this podcast and if knows the story I'm talking about, it is inc it is insanely. It's just a guy getting out of a porta potty, but it's <laughs> such a good story. It's just like the one I told you about the jaunt. It's about the future of time travel but it's maybe the greatest story i've ever heard mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's they're so quick that he can do it to you quick or he can do it to you for like uh, like a lot uh you know i have very little experience with reading his stuff i mean i definitely seen a lot of his adaptations his film adaptations so but and then when you think about it though it's the guy tells horror like kujo all that stuff yeah like yeah. he can't be beat but then he does like shawshank Right, you know what I mean? right, right, and it's or, like or, holy shit, or stand by me, and yeah, it's like what can't he do? And I think the, the, from the, the the little stuff I know about his writing, I, I, what I could gather is that you know he ha he has a really kind of unique ability to really kind of tap into a person's inside voice or his inner thoughts, you know, and the the, the connection, like you were saying, he, uh, someone he could describe uh, the a door. But it's really that person's relationship to that door, you know, that makes it interesting, the history and all that. Like, it really, the way he is able to write that down and really get into the psyche of his characters, I think that makes him, like, a, a, what makes him kind of special. I think when I look at his films, especially the films in the 80s, I really find that he is trying to deconstruct this idyllic image of small-town America because a lot of it's set in small-town America. And I think a lot of times we have like kind of this romantic notion of, or this you know very nice impression of of middle America or suburbia or or like even like coastal villages, you know, like from the east coast or west coast. Like th these are places that we want to retire to or want to raise our kids. And I think what King is trying to say in a lot of his films, you know, for this movie or or The Mist or whatever or It. That he, I think he, what he's trying to say about these towns is like, no, 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 these places are fucked up. These these places are as fucked up as the big cities. And I think these towns, and I think he's trying to say that these towns are not necessarily idyllic places. They have fake appearances. It's all kind of a facade. And I think what makes them really, really, really great is like, you know, if you, if you lift the surface, you know, just underneath the surface of these towns— the real truth is that it's dark. It's grotesque. It's 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 sad at times, and it's horrifying. And I think that what makes him like really, really great as a writer, and really kind of why what makes him like a master at this the, these type of stories. He likes to show you that they all have the secret. Yeah, secrets is like a big theme in his movies. Like people in yeah. in, in, in 
Like even this movie where the the one of the first killings is this woman who wants to commit suicide because she has this extra marital affair with this married man who doesn't it's want your to bun, but it ain't my. <laughs> yeah, he kind of. <laughs> it's your oven, but it's not my bun. <laughs> yeah, it, he dumps her. Yeah. Suicides go to hell, especially if they're pregnant. And I don't even care. That's a, that's an interesting idea. This is like again, he's showing that you know, these towns where everyone's are you know religious plays a part of his stories too. Well, and like, he even drives it home because to set up that scene when she's taking the pills to kill herself, that her mom is downstairs playing religious music on the piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's. This is what makes him a master when because he uses people's anxieties. He uses people's fears and concerns, and he kind of converts them into the basis of of these horror stories. And I think that's why his stories are so you know relatable, so relevant, and so so uh, ultimately like timeless. I think you could watch these stories, you know, forever. Yeah, I, I, I was, do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about you know watching Silver Bullet. I was actually thinking about Steven, another Steven, Steven Spielberg. Because I watched E.T. like a month ago. It's E.T.'s 40th anniversary, 40th anniversary this year. And I was watching it. And I go, here's another guy who wants to kind of deconstruct small town America or suburbia. And I go, wow, you know, and I go, maybe King and Spielberg are a lot alike. You know, they're both they're both the same age. So they have both the same pop culture references and music references. And I think they kind of do like to play around with small-town America, at least this idea of small-town America. I've always found Spielberg to just have this thing against people in general, man. That, like, if we're mm-hmm. if we're left to our own devices, we just suck. <laughs> like, like yeah. especially with the... Remember, I don't know if we went and saw AI together. Oh, that I, movie was horrible. <laughs> and all, it just... It, like, it should have ended 40 minutes before it did. Uh-huh. And the only thing I kept saying was, whoever made this movie just thinks the worst of people, like humanity. Like, right. Oh, interesting. We don't deserve it. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's in, even like what Save It Pri- Private Ryan, some of the most frustrating scenes is with the with the the Jeremy Davies character, I believe. The, um, the, you know, the geeky guy who wants to be a writer character. Mm-hmm. Where he is, you know, he gets this opportunity to kill a Nazi, but he can't just, he can't do it. Like, and he's, he's hearing his fellow soldiers getting killed and he can't muster enough courage to fight them off, you know? And it's, it's a scene where we just like, we grint our teeth and we like, why can't you, we're screaming at the, at the screen, like, get up, get up and do something. And that's, that's his horror. That's like Spielberg's version of horror. And yet, we, he gets this image that he's, you know, he's he's more like a a Norman Rockwell type of filmmaker. Like, and what I mean by that, like he, like his movies ha- is this kind of preservation of Americana, or he likes to uphold American values. But if you look deeper in in not just Spielberg's movies, but you know King's stories or even Rockwell's paintings, if you look deeper, you see this quirky darkness, or even this like type of sadness you know, there's a there's a sadness in, in these kind of beautiful paintings or films or, or stories you know when i was watching silver bullet spielberg came up in my mind 
And I think I think I think they're both alike. And I think it, it's just a pleasure to live through this time and have these two artists talk about these things and really kind of change our kind of understanding of what America was at the time, you know. And uh, I don't know. I was I was very appreciative of, of of watching this movie and also watching ET again after so many years. Um, yeah, and, and I, I get it. I mean, see, the only difference with me would be that Stephen King, he's kind of like, hey, hey, don't be fooled. This beneath the surface is just as shitty as anywhere else can be, or maybe even shittier. Mm-hmm. But with Spielberg, I always get. I do. I get that weird. We don't deserve it, or as a society, we just suck. I don't. Like, E.T., it's basically like we're horrible people. You know what I mean? The first time we encounter aliens. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like cut them and gut them. And it's just, I don't know. And then the AI, the they're, he's, he's even making like <laughs> artificial things more human than us. You know what I mean? It's like. I, that's so interesting. I, I, yeah, I think you got a point there. I think that the adults are kind of the, the despicable people. But I think in Spielberg's movies where the children, the children are kind of the more the innocent. They're the kind of the ones who are the heroes of his stories. And I guess King is, in, you know, when, when, King has the same way or he deals with kids with the same way too. There they're are the heroes. They're the ones who are, are the, always the first to notice something's not right with the world and or first to notice the mystery or or like understand what it's at stake where the adults are too self-involved or too busy to really kind of notice anything and uh, i don't know i just spielberg just came up when i was watching and this is just a theory i was thinking about and it's funny because i was listening to another podcast and they were talking about the films of david lynch and i think david lynch you could throw david lynch's name into this pile too as someone he is also deconstructing our understanding of small town America too, but his movies are not necessarily about monsters or aliens. David Lynch is more like humans are the monsters, you know, (laughs) it's so weird that these three kind of artists came out around the same time. And yet they're kind of talking about the same thing, but they're uniquely different. And they're telling this, they're telling their stories in in a very unique way. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, that's something I just want to throw out there. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something, maybe there's nothing to it, but I thought maybe there's a common denominator between, between these three, David Lynch, Stephen King, and, and Spielberg. No, you definitely got it about Spielberg, or sorry, about King and his whole play, his whole take on small town life, but I just never put it together. But mm-hmm. it's in almost every story he's got. It's, I mean, like anything with Castle Rock, it's just, if I ever came upon a town called Castle Rock, I'd just gas it and go around. Because <laughs> nothing good happens there, you know what I mean? It's just, as I'm saying, it's just, yeah, you're right. And no matter how fantastic his story is, it's just, it's it starts with the, the basic premise of, all you got to do is throw a little bit of a monkey wrench and watch these people tear each other apart. Like, everybody would think that, oh, this is, this is what we want, this is what, you know, society's striving for, but... I mean, literally, as soon as the first couple people in Silver Bullets are coming up, like, you got people wanting to fight the sheriff. Like, <laughs> literally, get drunk in, drunk in a bar, yeah. and they're trying to fight deputies, and they're just this, the slightest little thing it could tip one of these towns into just an uproar. We pay our taxes to keep this town safe, and Joe Haller ain't doing it. Last town report said you were in arrears in your taxes, Andy. Guess you caught up. (laughs) What are you, trying to be smart? 
Now you boys better turn down your thermostats or you can both get the hell out of here. You got me? Now who's drinking? That's a great scene in the movie where the the you know people in the bar are really kind of arguing with the 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 local cop there and you know the bar owner who comes out with the bat that says peacemaker in it <laughs> on it which feels very much a king thing like he adds these little kind of details to something that gets gets a laugh but also brings a life to to these characters that's uh, Lawrence Tierney, right? Yeah, that's the guy from Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction <laughs> no, 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 yeah. not, not Pulp Fiction. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the one that doesn't give a shit what uh, <laughs> Steve Buscemi normally does. Yeah. <laughs> Is that who didn't tip? He doesn't believe in it. Normally, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you normally do. Yeah, it was it was great to see him in this in this because he has a little part in this movie, and yeah. I'm like, oh wow, that's a Reservoir Dog uh, actor. Yeah. But he keeps the same tough guy. <laughs> He fights a werewolf with a bat. You know what I mean? Like, how do you how do you not love a guy? Yeah, there's a lot of kind of cool character actors in this in this film. You got Terry O'Quinn as the sheriff, who's from uh, Lost. You know, he's a lot. He's more known as a TV actor, but uh, to horror fans, he's the stepdad, right? Wasn't he like in the stepfather step- or stepfather films? Yeah. Uh, Everett McGill, who plays the Reverend, who later we learn has a dark secret. But he's also a bad guy in most of the stuff he does. Yeah. Like, I think my mom was saying that he was, he's in some 80s things and he's like the heartthrob. And then he turned into a bad guy and that he just started playing bad guys. That's what she said. Well, you know, Lynch came up in my mind, too, because of Everett McGill, because he is a frequent David Lynch uh, actor. He, he He's in Twin Peaks. He's in uh, Dune. Uh, he does a lot of uh, David Lynch films. And, yeah, he is the bad guy in this movie. And he also, you know, he's also a preacher, which which I just goes to show you that King likes to throw in these metaphors about religion, and 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 I really like the idea that he he I think the character has a god complex, you know, he he doesn't, you know, there's a reason why he doesn't take care of himself, like kill himself because he is turning into this monster, and he says something about how you know it's against my religion, but I'm really saving people when he kills uh, his victims, you know. So I I don't know this movie is a little bit deeper than 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 you think, but it's such also a very entertaining movie for for Halloween and 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 and. But Peter. like 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 you were saying though, you got to think about the only two places in this movie. Well, I know he does a lot of the screen adaptations, but the only two places where you see the community as a large is the opening the opening park scene for the Fourth of July, and then it's a bar and it's a church. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the most. It's like that's the only three things: the bar, the church, or the regular, and then the parks, the the holiday. You know what I mean? So it's like he's not giving you a, he's not showing a street with a bunch of people walking on it. He's not, he's not giving you that impression of the town. And when he's showing the 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 Coslos, Marty and the sister, they're always they're like miles for anybody. Like their houses are all separated, all wide. Yeah, I mean it's very Simpsons. <laughs> the cartoon the simpsons is very much like that where there are you know school there's the houses there's the church you know it's very that's all kind of our idea or i maybe our a romantic idea of 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 these type of towns yeah and i, I you know when, once we get into a little bit later in the, in the film they kind of get very angry and they become very you know they they mention private justice because the the cops are failing them and they, they, you know, they kind of become a, a angry mob. 
And yeah, I quit the mob justice. Groups one through four in the woods north of the Sturm Fuller place. Right. Okay. Five and six west of Carson Creek. Yeah. Now, if he comes out in the moonlight tonight for a stroll, we're going to get that song. I want all of you people to go home. I don't remember deputizing a single one of you. That's right, Joe. The only deputy you got is that fat shitbag beside you, and neither one of you has done anything about solving this case. We'll catch him. You couldn't catch a cold. The law has a name for what you people are planning. It's called private justice. And private justice is about a step and a half away from lynch mobs and hang ropes. Now, I may be no J. Edgar Hoover, but I am the law in Tarker's Mills. I want all you people to go home. I, I loved all that stuff, you know, because it, it felt earned. It felt like there was a growing tension. And, and then it becomes this really great scene in, in the second half of the movie where, you know, they're getting attacked by a werewolf in this mist. I love the kind of idea of it and the look of it. And it's it's really awesome. Well, I, yeah, it, it, the way they do it is really cool because they are they decide that they're going to go do the private justice they get in their cars, they're marching out, and who was walking down the street trying to stop them? It's the priest. Uh, oh. Ever McGill, he kind of just walks up, and the sheriff is the one that says, oh, this is what you're talking about when we're at church, your community coming together. And so he, the cop's like, hey, just let them go out there. And they're going to get it out of their system. And then it's funny because when they're, they're hunting at first, they're all nice, and like they're very gung-ho, very, I guess, macho. Yeah. And they all get out there, and as soon as that wears off, they're all scared as shit because they realize, <laughs> you know, even though we're, we're together, we're in a city, in a bar, we're 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 strong. Even when we're at the, I guess the clearing where we all parked, we're strong. But once we spread out and we're in its domain, now it's not all the all that stuff. You start to revert to your base. And that's being afraid of what's out there in the dark. I don't know. What's the matter, Bobby? You're going to make lemonade in your pants? I ain't scared. Let's go. Where's it coming from? Over there? No, it's behind us. I told you you couldn't trust this fog. It's under the fog. He's saying. It's right here with us. Yeah, and I even like the idea that the, the peacemaker bat is used against owner in the film. Yeah. I think I think I do. It's not like a perfect movie because I, I don't necessarily like the girl's narration. I think it feels a little off. Yeah, I, I don't know what he was... I think it was a way to... Maybe jump right in maybe, and jump yeah. right out. Yeah. Yeah, like... It was almost like a di- like a, a memoir of hers type yeah. of deal. Yeah, it feels like it was almost set 20 years ago because it, it starts with the, the point of view of the, the sister, Jane, I guess her name was. What yeah. Was and so it feels like that maybe she's retelling the story as an older woman. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it just felt a little well, off to me. Yeah. And then at the end, when at the very, very, very end, when, uh, Marty says, I love you, Janie. And she says, I couldn't always say that, but I could say it now. I love you too. Good night. Mm-hmm. So you're, th- I'm thinking it's maybe even 
like he they've grown up and maybe he passed. Maybe, yeah. And it's almost like an homage to him. But it's funny too because he's the main character. They never say how he got in the chair. Yeah, they don't really explain a lot with They call it an accident. Right. Yeah. They don't even explain like even the werewolf, how the, the origin of the were the origin of the werewolf and how they literally say like maybe he doesn't know either. Yeah. Like how did he become? <laughs> maybe he doesn't know either. I mean, in the book, it's funny because in the in the book it's the same thing where he doesn't know. And it's funny because Stephen King in the book, like almost verbatim says, like like the the werewolf is having almost like an inner monologue and he's like he's like, I'm not sure why this is happening to me. And he's all all I know is that that the beast time is is the beast is me and the beast time is now and the beast place is here like that's all he knows but that's kind of like all he was meant to know Mm -hmm. like it's not like like even in the book it's not like he grew up a beast Mm -hmm. it just all of a sudden got him and then i don't know yeah it's just it could be just a metaphor for evil the manifestation of evil i guess I, i do like you know you know when we're dealing with um, Marty and Jane, the the, the brother and sister team, the, the, it ha- there's a similar relationship with with Uncle Red, who's the Gary Busey character, and his sister, who is Marty's and Jane's mother, and they have a bickering kind of relationship. And I kind of like that idea, or I like that scene or that quote where where Gary Busey says, you know, when we were little, me and your mom were just like you two. And so that was yeah, like the son of, of a bitch of it is we still are. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like so it, it it makes you know that gives it more validation to have to center on a brother and sister team, you know, because I think one might say, well, why just focus on the boy or why not just focus on the girl? And you go, no, it, it makes sense within this story because you know Uncle Red and the mother is also the same thing. And I don't know. There's I like the like there's a unity. The story, when it comes to oh, that, yeah, they actually have really good chemistry. Is uh, Gary Busey and the one that plays Nan, who's supposed to be his sister. Mm-hmm. Like they get into a screaming match in the middle, and uh, I have siblings, and sometimes you really fight like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like you got a love and a passion, and it's it's funny because they're at different angles, and they're screaming at each other, but it's both because they love Corey Haim's character type of deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not like they're fighting each other just to fight each other. There's actually not like his soul that they're fighting over, but you know, that's still over basically the the well being for Corham. Yeah. But yeah. I don't want you drinking around Marty. Don't be telling me what to do. You've been telling me what to do all my life. Red, I don't care how you live, but he is a very impressionable little boy. You know, you think your only responsibility is getting his butt out of the chair and into the tub and out of the chair and onto the toilet. And you ought to realize there's more to Marty than him not being able to walk. So easy for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You blow in here once a month and you tell a few jokes and you have a few beers and then you want to lecture me about how to raise my son. Well, I am the one who is responsible for how he feels when he sees you like this and how he feels when you leave. Red... Marty has enough strikes against him as it is. He doesn't have any strikes against him. That I am scared to death that someday he is just going to give up. He's not going to give up. Well, he doesn't need you showing him how to do it. Another wonderful night here at Sister Nan's.
Gary Busey is so great in this movie. Let's talk a little bit about Gary Busey because I, I, I think the best thing about rewatching this movie after so many years. I mean, I, I probably haven't seen this movie in over a decade. The the great thing I about watching this again was my kind of newfound appreciation of Gary Busey and this particular this performance in the film because he he's so awesome in it and he works so well with Corey Haim and and he, even the sister you know the, I believe her name is uh, the actress name is uh, Megan Follows I think it was very smart to have someone as skilled as Gary Busey to to play against these two young kid actors and not that's not to say like Corey Haim or or, or Megan Follows was were bad actors in it they were good you know Gary Busey who is he just ha, you know has this unique ability to be just instantly believable with when he says when he says his dialogue and he really is the kind of the breakout performance or he's the breakout star of the film uh, even though I love Corey Haim in the movie Gary Busey is the link between. The kids who are kids are very limited in what they can do in the movie to an adult that needs to, you know, they need the adult to help get the stuff that they're going to need mm-hmm. eventually, you know, to, to progress the story and climax. But it's, for me, it's his interaction, the way he does. He is a cool older uncle, yeah. but when he's talking to him, he's not, t- he's got like a no bullshit way of talking to him. It's not like... Well, listen, buddy, this is blah, blah, blah. He's like, he's calling him like, you know, sometimes I think your legs got, your brain got paralyzed along with your legs. You know <laughs> what I mean? He's the interaction and like the, the tone in his voice without him. It's a very monotone kind of a movie. You know what I mean? He brings the, like, even though he's physically, he's not running around. Well, in the end, he's kind of, he gets physical, but his, his emotions are through the way he says stuff. I think the way he interacts with his nephew, who's Marty. Mm-hmm. is kind of like you can see their closeness you know what i mean oh yeah yeah i mean they don't pull punches with each other yeah he doesn't talk down to him he doesn't he re- he respects him and i think their dialogue is fantastic because it really feels like an uncle and, and nephew mm-hmm. and you know like like you know carapuse is just great i mean I, I it's unfortunate that his reputation now is that he is a wild man he is someone who is very unpredictable a, lo- a loose cannon you know, I, I suppose a lot of people would say he is crazy, and they might have, they might be right about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but I, I think he is so good a, as a character actor, and he, like I was saying before, he, there's an instant believability about his work. And uh, you know, it's just too bad that nowadays, you know, he is mostly known as the reality show guy who who fights with meatloaf in that one thing you know or he fights yeah. with other you know other celebrities in in the wilderness or something it's just it's so bad that his kind of reputation has been tarnished where if you look at his work in not just in the 80s but in the 90s or certainly in the 70s yeah this guy was very talented and deserves to be a a-list actor but i think but he I, was in he was in big movies he was in good budget breakout like big movies like lethal weapon you know what i mean it wasn't like yeah. he was a nobody in a nobody film he was like the third famous guy in like point break you know what i mean <laughs> he did a great job in point break in small role but like he stood out yeah i mean we, we we talked a little bit before we recorded about gary Busey, and we were saying something about how you know in the 70s he was kind of making a name for himself he, he had a breakout part in in the Buddy Holly story, where he played Buddy Holly, 
he got nominated for a Best Actor award for that, and uh, he it looked like he was going to be this kind of leading man. But in this eighties, he went into this transitional period where he became a, a character actor. I would say Silver Bullet is one of his highlights in the eighties. Lethal Weapon, he was like the main villain. I think he became uh, he kind of maybe pigeonholed him as a, the villain. And in the 90s, he was like, again, like appearing in these really kind of good movies, Point Break, uh, uh, Predator 2, Under Siege. The fir- He's great in The Firm the, with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like Gary Busey made a name for himself and he's got like an unforgettable smile. <laughs> like a like a crazy, like just grimace of a smile or grin of a smile. And like his, his voice and the way he talks. Like, he's got way too many teeth for his mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, his, his mouth just cannot stay closed. But, like, I mean, I, dude, the guy's great in everything he does. I, I love his movies, too. But yeah. I think it's one of those things, too, where it, I think it comes through where I bet you during the scenes and off scenes, he, and I'm sure that the adult actors hung out together, and it was probably just Corey Haim and the kid, or and the, the sister, mm-hmm. but depending on how she was. I think if you look back at this, I think Corey Haim and him spent a lot of time together. Because I want to say that he had a big influence on Corey Haim's uh, outlook on movies. I, I can't believe, I, I think I read about it. And that when Corey Haim came out of one of his rehabs, I think he did get in touch with him. It's like one of those, did you know type of things. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because Gary Busey had been already been in trouble with, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff that he was able to go to him but uh, of course it didn't quite work no work out yeah in the end but i think maybe he he just hey he had that kind of an effect on him where he knew that he could still like it stepped beyond the movie maybe he just he's that kind of guy he's very he seems cool I mean, now he's crazy, but <laughs> when we were younger, he seemed like just a cool dude to hang out with. But yeah, I think uh, definitely in the scenes where he is playing poker or playing cards with with Corey, and he's like, you know, um, you know, they're they're having. He starts singing. You know, he's like, piss on the Yankees, piss on the Indians. On the Indians. <laughs> yeah, like the the. You could, and particularly in that scene, you could tell like they're 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 I don't know if they're making that stuff up or or you know they're playing with the with the dialogue, but it really feels like they're having a fun time doing that scene. Yeah, because that's not the that's like you wouldn't sing a song piss on anything with your mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like something an uncle would do, like to push the bounds. You know what I mean? Like shows you a picture of a girl in a bikini. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like total opposite of what your mom would want you to see. Uh, see ya. I got three kings, read them and weep. <laughs> I got a straight to the queen. That's bullshit luck. Bullshit luck. You know, his character, Uncle Red, also is the one who kind of soups up his uh, wheelchair, makes it to a silver bullet. It becomes like a three-wheel, a three-wheel motorcycle, really. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, when I saw that, I go, 
this guy is like the best uncle in the world. He's the oh, yeah. he's the greatest uncle in in, in film uh, history. Like, how would you rank Gary Busey, you know, Uncle Red in 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 the in the history of films as that you know as among the greatest of second uncle only to Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck has got to be number one, right? Because that guy makes incredible pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) So Uncle Red's number two. Dan maybe Uncle Ben from Spider Man. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, we we just we have to take the effect of his death on how cool of an uncle he was. Yeah, and, then, right. and then we get into like the mid range where you got Uncle Owen from Star Wars, and then yeah. maybe Uncle Fester from uh, Adam's Family. This seems cool. And then at the bottom bottom uh, level, it's Uncle uh, Uncle Ben's rice. <laughs> yeah. Oh no no no! Uncle Cal. Who's that? Uncle Cal from uh, Enemy Mine. Oh no, that's gotta be top right. Uncle- yeah, we got we got to put him before Uncle Ben. Right. Uh, un- just just Uncle right? Dennis Dennis Quaid. Un- Uncle. Yeah. Uncow or what? Yeah, Uncow. Uh, at the bottom, it's got to be Scar from uh, <laughs> Lions King. Yeah, yeah. that guy's a real asshole. More of a, a dick uncle than that, right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there you go. That's our list of uh, greatest uncles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we have top four and then the last. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great, fun movie to watch in Halloween. It's a werewolf movie. It's Stephen King. Yeah, we're not really giving away the twist, but uh, if I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody that hasn't seen this. If you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. It's a great, great story. Um, there's a twist, but it's like real Stephen Kingish. Mm-hmm. But um, sadly, I would say that it's probably not even the actual werewolf is the weakest. It's not a scary looking werewolf at all. Yeah, let's talk so, about that. Let's because like the werewolf makeup, the the creature design of this movie really disappointed me and didn't hold up after all these years. And and it probably didn't look that great during back then either because it looked. But pretty, it's what D- Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, yeah, it was the producer. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's known for his B movies level budgets and stuff like that. And and uh, the, but the idea of it could be good, which makes me think: Would you want to see like a remake or if they do no. this again? I couldn't. I couldn't. I don't think I'd want a remake. That, that surely doesn't stop people from doing a remake. But <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't want. It pisses me off that it wasn't a better one. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say that when, if you look into the extra, I believe they also had mentioned that nobody was actually thrilled with the the way the werewolf came out. I mean, look, the, the director here is Daniel a- a- Adius, and uh, yeah. he he uh, apparently he has gone to become a really veteran Big te- on TV yeah, yeah. The television director he did a lot of the HBO shows I believe sopranos uh he's a, a big time TV director and here he's using a lot of those old tricks kind of like the the reverse film shots and close-ups and but it, it, unfortunately the makeup itself looks pretty pretty laughable at times yeah and it's 1985 so it's not like uh CGI wasn't even a thing. Since it's a Stephen King story, they relied more on the story to give you the setup for being afraid rather than just what you see. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think the story itself is pretty decent, and I think it that it's the reason why it has become a cult classic. And maybe because of the makeup is not that great, maybe that why people don't talk about the movie more. When you were when you remember first episode we did American Werewolf, and when you whenever I was looking up stuff about American Werewolf. And I was looking up different werewolf lists. Mm-hmm. This was always on it. Silver Bullet was always 
like you'll see a guy and he'll be talking about silver bullet or he'll be talking about American wealth, but he'll also, he'll be like, you know, this is like one of the classics, like, and they always like, will mention, they'll mention American werewolf. They'll mention howling. Mm-hmm. And then they'll always throw in like silver bullet. It's just everything I, I saw. It, it was, it was always part of when they were discussing like top werewolf movies. It was always in there. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the main character of, of Marty. I think when we're watching this movie, we're feeling this character in, in, in there's something about kids, like kind of notice, noticing like the monster, you know, it's, it, it, like if if Marty was an old man or an older teenager, I think you would have to go in in greater lengths to give him some detail of why would he think there's a werewolf on the loose. But because he's a kid, I think we automatically just believe in in in, in that because kids are kind of open to the 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 mysteries of the world. They're open to that 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 kind of uh, unanswerable kind of question, and so. When he says there's a, you know, the murderer is a, a werewolf, we kind of don't need a backstory. We don't need an explanation of why he thinks that. We just believe it because he's a kid and he has he's open to this kind of mysteries of the world. You know what's so funny, dude? I just drew a parallel to this movie that I didn't even think of until you said it right now. There's a movie called Late Phases. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, have you seen it? No, I heard about Yeah. It, I, I love I, that. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I love it. And it's so funny because... The worst thing about it is the werewolf, the the, the special effects are horrible. Mm-hmm. But it's an older guy, and he's, he's like, old, going to be... Basically, his kid's putting him into a retirement community, mm-hmm. but he's blind. So he, he, like, his first day, his neighbor gets killed by a werewolf. He has a run-in with it. Basically, he doesn't... He's blind. He's an older person, so he's not saying it's a werewolf. But he puts it together, but he's stuck in the same boat as Marty is. First of all, he's handicapped, and no one's going to believe him that it's a werewolf. So he's got to figure out how to deal with it on his own. And it's just hilarious, because I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> and when you were talking about his character right now, I'm like, holy crap. This is this exact same scenario, almost. It, it's like it's like a similar setup, dude. That's weird. Wait, is Late Phases a good movie? I love it. Okay. Um, the story's great. Um, the guy in it, oh man, I can't remember his. He is in a movie called Stakeland. I've seen Stakeland. Stakeland, so good. Yeah, Nick Demichi. Right? Do you like Stakeland? I love love Stakeland. Yeah, that's a vampire vampire movie. That's a vampire end of days kind of movie. Yeah. Oh man, so good. And uh, they even made a part two. But the same dude is in it. Yeah, yeah. He's the main guy. He plays, he's blind. Yeah, so it's, dude, I never even thought about them even kind of being related to the same kind of a story, but yeah, it's like almost identical setup. And instead of his uncle, who's cool, he's got his son who doesn't believe him. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll put down my list of movies to watch. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. So we do, we definitely recommend uh, Silver Bullet. It's a fun kind of throwback to 80s werewolf horror movies. The fact that it's Stephen King also wrote the screenplay, I didn't realize that was the case uh, while rewatching this. I, I was shocked to see his name in the credits as screenplay. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. I enjoy those ones better because it's kind of like they preserve as much of the original story. You, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's not just, hey, this is what I think you would have done. It's really the guy. So, I mean, I, I, I like it when they let the original storyteller in on shortening it up for the movie. Silver Bullet is also one of your favorite movies of all time. You picked this as your number five pick as because we did an early episode almost a year ago uh, of our favorite 
holiday movies, you picked this as number five on your list because it's, it ends on Halloween Eve. I yeah, guess? I was stretching it. I think it was <laughs> we were doing yeah holiday movies or something, so. <laughs> which is yeah, fine. When you, it was fine. Yeah, it's a holiday. It's a holiday. Hey, yeah, the, when the mom leaves, she <laughs> says, you know. It's Halloween. <laughs> they shouldn't get many trick or treaters because of how far out they live. But yeah, and, I, I squeezed it in there. And the and the film was originally released on Halloween in 1985. So, is there anything recently you you watched that would make a good Halloween movie? Like, I mean, I was very disappointed with Halloween Ends, which came out uh, uh, recently, which concludes <laughs> concludes that trilogy. Uh, Which is so weird because I thought I would never say it was good. Like, hey, recommend it. Uh-huh. I thought it was just going to be a car crash on top of a uh, uh, someone having saved up a lot of number three and going to the bathroom on it. I <laughs> thought it was just going to be so horrible. And when I watched it, it had so many redeeming qualities that I appreciate that they didn't just regurgitate. Like, there was some new stuff they tried. Yeah, that, yeah, they did try. So. They- I, I watched it because everybody said how bad it was. Right, right. So I was like, okay, I got to see this thing if it's that bad. It's like universally that bad. And I think most people were not correct. Interesting. Uh, I guess the part, the reason why I hated hated the movie so much was like, I thought it was sold to me as like, this is going to be the final confrontation between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. And it turned out to be really only part of it. It was this new character, Corey. And he was probably supposed to like kind of continue the legacy of yeah, Michael Myers. Yeah, hand off. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that would have been, that been fine with me if it was like say Halloween ends the sequel or whatever, or the fourth one in the series. Did you like the 2018 Halloween? No, that was the one that I thought was the shitty cliche that everybody thought of this one. I thought it was fine. I mean, I thought it, I thought it was okay. You know what? Halloween Kills, right? Yeah. No, Halloween Kills was was crap. But no, the 2018. The, the first one to, to start this uh, new uh, remake. I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. It was fine with me. The last one I liked was the zombie when he remade it. And it was the first one. <laughs> where the, the little he, reboot. Didn't he? You mean Rob Zombie? Yeah. Didn't, but didn't, didn't you think he just turned it into Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> yeah. Which it, it, at least it was something. <laughs> but other than that. I did. Dude, it hasn't been good since the first one. Like Halloween one, if you watch it, Halloween one was a good Salem movie. Halloween two went off the rails about right. a witch, right, right, and right. like TV programs. They tried to get back on number three, and then it was regurgitated up to the H two O, and then they just it's like anybody who wanted to start making a horror movie, they give you the rights to a Halloween movie to start. Like I, they were so everywhere and shitty. I recommended you Werewolf by Night, which is a Marvel kind of short film that uh, was released a couple weeks ago. Did you get oh, yeah, to see great. that? Oh, yeah. But I would say I wouldn't call it a horror movie, man. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It was really good, but yeah. and it was so funny because I couldn't remember because I, I, dude, I was like watching, I'm like, oh, man, that's not Swamp Thing. But oh, then I remember mm-hmm. it is Man Thing, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I dude, that was so good, though. I just wouldn't call it horror, but it was real good. The world went out. You, you, you talk about Halloween ends, how they were trying something different. And what I like about Werewolf by Night was like Marvel was trying something different here. And it had like, the, it's you know, it's mostly black and white. There's touches of color, but it's mostly kind of a, an homage to old 40s monster movies. I kind of like that aesthetic of that of that thing. And I thought it was a little fun little thing that you could watch on Halloween or watch around this time and 
I, you know, yeah, I think you're right. It's not a horror movie, but it's a, like more because it's more of an action piece than anything else. Yeah, but, and the uh, filming was great, like with using like um, a lot of shadow. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, the, the a light came on, or somebody moved the a torch, and then you know what I mean. It changed, and all of a sudden, you see like the silhouette of the creature. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I dug that whole because. That was the big trick photography that they used back in the olden days. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff for the reveals. And I, I I think they did it really well, too. The look of it is probably the best thing about it. And, you know, even some of the monsters in it. And I I don't necessarily like the 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 werewolf makeup on him. It was kind of clunky, but it was, it was good enough. I mean, it, it, they were smart enough to kind of cast a shadow to it. You know, it was more sil- silhouette. I See, my thing was it was... It was more, okay, I think this is weird, dude. But for me, there's a difference between werewolf and wolfman. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I, I agree. Yeah, so this was more wolfman. Yeah. So it's fine. Like, the movie, the wolfman, the Benicio, Yeah. like, a lot of people were like, ah, oh, that, you know, that looks too much, you know, it's it's not what they wanted, but it's like, dude, you understand, it's a wolfman. Mm-hmm. It's a man, you know, that's part wolf. It's not its own independent half-breed creature to me. It's like the Wolfman's supposed to be more like a man, stand upright, clothes, just a little extra hair on the face. But, uh, and not, and the whole difference too is the face. Like, I expect the Wolfman to have more of a man face and not have like the protruding, you know, snout and everything like that. So I thought it was, I thought it was done well because it kind of, to me, it kept that, that version going. Like the old school, like, you know, like the dissolves and the walk behinds from like the actual Wolfman movie. I, I watch it now and I, dude, I love it. I know, like people will be like, dude, that's cheesy. No, it wasn't cheesy. You don't understand. Back then, that scared the shit out of people. <laughs> a dissolve, or he walks by the tree and then he's got a little more hair when he comes. <laughs> like people were fucking blown away. Like, oh my god, it's real. You know what I mean? It's like you, you got to put yourself back in that day and. And I like the actor overall anyway, so it was it was cool to have him come through. Uh, another uh, kind of a remake that was recently released on Hulu was the Hellraiser remake or update. Did you get a chance to see that one? I saw that one. Um, man. You're, are you a big fan of the original Hellraiser films? Uh, yeah, I mean, up to a point where it was almost, I mean, like, okay. Some people are going to, like, throw shit at me. But, <laughs> like, when you go Carpenter, Craven, and Barker, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, the three bigs. Clive is always the, the lowest for me. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't. He is a cultish horror writer. I mean, he is. And he, he's more of a, like, his own universe. He doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's it's not like he take what we know. He He's, like, crazy fantastic about it. But I, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you know what I'm saying. It's like. It's also He's got his. It's also inter- interdimensional. It's also kind of more like, uh, uh, you know, like I, I would say it's more sexually charged too. It's also kind of, uh, yeah. It's it's its own whole universe. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, and, I mean, because I, you know, watching the, I, I did watch the remake on Hulu. I I, I found it very boring to me. <laughs> To be honest, well, it's because mm. he can only do so much. Mm. And I think they went with the thing that most people hadn't seen it at all. So they kind of regurgitated a lot of, you know, it seemed to me like a very shitty 13 Ghosts. <laughs> and dude, I love 13 Ghosts. I love the remake too with Matthew Lillard. 
that was probably one of the last movies that made me not scared, but like I thought was a real well done like horror flick. Mm. But um, I don't know, just the the Hellraiser when it first came out was good because it was it was original. You know what I mean? It was something new. It was very gory. Like things hadn't been that gory in forever. Yeah. Um, and then they made a bunch more, and they were they kind of got boring. Like, how do you make something that gruesome like played out? But they they did. This one was just like a bigger budget. I do like that the a lot of the effects were old school looking. Mm-hmm. They that they didn't do a lot of CGI at all. It did look like they did CGI that much, but um. Yeah, I just, like you, dude, just, like, pass. You know, I saw it just to see it, but, yeah, I would never recommend it. Yeah, I was I was disappointed by it. I mean, I, I'm not a big uh, hair, uh, Hellraiser f- uh, fan. Um, the fr- I'm not I'm not a big fan of, well, I guess. Franchise. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big of the franchise uh, or, or Clive, Clive Barker. Um, but, you know, the people, people were... Praising it, and so I, I gave it. I gave it a shot, but I found all the characters kind of really boring or two dimensional, and really stock characters that that uh, I didn't really care Scary. about them. Yeah, I didn't really care if they yeah. lived or died. You know, <laughs> and so the, I mean, uh, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it was very kind of difficult to watch some of these horror movies and say which one is like the better one for for this year. The only one I could think of was Black Phone, which I I would say is not necessarily a scary horror movie, but it is a Stephen King-esque thriller, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, And I recommended to you to watch Black Phone. What's your thoughts on on the Black Phone? Oh, dude, I I loved it. Um, My kids really liked it. Mm -hmm. I think the story was very well told. Um, it's very believable. It wasn't so fantastic. It wasn't like, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but it wasn't like, it's just like, it's like a hometown. Something's going wrong with the kids missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's a well-told story and it's very believable, but, but fantastic enough to keep you going. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I I would almost believe it if I saw that it was a true story. Like someone just wrote it all out in the paper. Yeah, I, I, it's it's mostly kind of a ghost story, or a, there's a ghost element to it, or a supernatural element to the f- film. Uh, you know, it's about kids who get abducted aduct- by a uh, serial kidnapper played by Ethan Hawke, and it's really a it's, I would say it's a survival thriller than anything else. Uh, it's funny because like watching Silver Bullet, I. I Got notions. I got elements of Black Phone because of the the two kids. The two kids here in Black Phone are are, are brother and sister team, and it's funny because this Black Phone was based on a short story by Joel Hill, and Joel Hill is the son of Stephen King. So there is very much a same components, same kind of ideas that uh, Joe Hill does in uh, with the Black Phone, and that it feels very much like a. I mean, if you wouldn't know it, you would think this was a Stephen King film. Or story. And Imagine that shit, though. You're tired. You're a kid. <laughs> you, you ask your dad to tell you a story before you go to bed, and it's fucking Stephen King who comes in the room. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to bed. And it, w- I, what's so great about Black Phone was the was the two kids, the, the brother and sister, their relationship, and I got really caught up with their journey. Both because both of them equally had a journey in the film, and you know what? That son of a bitch dad <laughs> did the least. Did the least. You know what I mean? Right. The daughter's kicking ass. Mm-hmm. The son's kicking ass. 
but they're not even together, but they're not giving up on each other. I, I, I totally love that part of the movie, too, like yeah. what you're saying. It was, there's a satisfying ending where you, the characters, you, there's a, you know, a, a conclusion to these characters' journey, and I just really enjoyed it. Ethan Hawke is always great. He's a great actor. Hey, dude, I keep, <laughs> dude, it's like that fool disappears, and he just keeps showing up in good <laughs> shit, man. Yeah, it's dude, I, I really like Ethan, man. I do. He's a guy who does prestigious films, but he doesn't. He he wouldn't. You know, he he's not so uh, elitist that he won't show up in a genre movie, uh-huh. you know, or you know, because he was recently also in a Marvel series. So it's like he just loves acting. I think he he, he you know yeah he'll get uh, some Oscar nominations, but he'll definitely show up for like a, a science fiction or a horror movie. Yeah, so, like uh, people give him shit for the uh, what Daybreakers. Yeah, yeah. I did that movie was awesome. It was cool. <laughs> you ever see him in um because it was same same directors uh from Daybreakers. Uh what was it? Predestination? Uh-uh. Oh watch Is that a newer movie? No, it came out like twenty twelve, maybe? Twenty I don't know, some maybe early twenty tens. I would say it's loosely time travel. There, you know, he's 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 a time agent catching a serial bomber. I, I don't don't Search for it. Just watch it. Just All watch right. it. All right. Don't don't. Yeah, look. There's something about it. I don't want to say too much, but it's a it's a time travel kind of thing. It's science fiction. Just watch it. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, so I, you know, like I would say, the Black Phone is a great recommendation for this Halloween season, or for just any for for any time. Man. I mean, watch it even after Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have any because we were discussing like what what constitute horror. Yeah, I don't think I have anything good. Really, within the last, I, I can't definitely not this year. Mm-hmm. That I would call horror. My last actual movie that gave me like a little anxiety was that movie called The Monster, and I'm not even sure what year that was. I think it's like 2010 or 2014. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mine. It has to be something that's outside of like just humans. It's got to be something like monster, ghost, whatever. But God, me and my kids saw a real good one the other day, Ghosts of War. Yeah, I think you told me about this. Is de- this is definitely on Netflix. But I was, I was... Yeah, that's what I saw. Other than that, I dude, I can't can't think of anything that I would call scary that I haven't seen in a while. We'll we'll keep trying to find a, a like a really good uh, a horror movie, and, and if not, we'll always go back to our favorite movies in, uh, from the eighties and nineties <laughs> and talk about them here on Tarantino's. Uh yeah. So that concludes this episode of Tarantino's. Thank you for listening. Uh, yeah. What, what, any final words? Uh, not just. Uh... Mm-hmm. Halloween's important, so just do it however you do it, but make sure you do it. And also be safe. Always be safe about doing it. Um, thank you for listening. Also, I, we never get to promote our website, but you could go to www.tarotinos.com. It has all our listings of uh, previous episodes. So if you like this episode, please listen to our, our older episodes. And uh, yeah, we're available in all kind of uh, podcast uh, options we're and all, platform, all, platforms. All, all. All five podcasts are found. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Tarantino's. We'll be back hopefully soon with a new movie or maybe a list. Maybe a, I don't know a different discussion about some of some of the movies we love. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye, guys. <laughs>